When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. At The Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety. I'm your host, Mark. And before we get started with this intro, I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us their Podcaster Essentials Kit. It's got a great Lyra mic and a very wonderful set of headphones. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, this is the best way to do it. We're joined by Pablo Alvarez of Good Bison. His story begins with his emigration from Colombia to Miami as a kid. He went from not speaking any English to freestyle rapping for 26 straight hours to set the Guinness World Record. Good Bison formed after Pablo's original band, Dinosaurs and Disasters, fizzled out after moving from Miami to L.A. And after recording a Point Break-themed album, they now have a new EP coming out. It's short and it's fun and a great new addition to my rotation. Give them a follow at Good Bison. Follow us at Performance ANX. We accept coffee on ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. Merchandise is buyable at performanceanx.threadless.com. So grab a beverage and relax for a fun conversation with Pablo Alvarez and Good Bison. Hey, what's up? I'm Pablo from Good Bison. Make sure to check out our new EP, Scattered Storms, available everywhere. And you're listening to Performance Anxiety. All right. All right. Hey, nice to meet you. Yeah, pleasure to meet you as well. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. I have taken the liberty of pouring myself two fingers in the honor of Good Bison of... Oh, I love it. Buffalo Trace. (laughs) Nice. My nice. favorite bourbon. So <laughs> I think we start off on, a, on the right foot that way. Yeah, I think it's um, an adequate choice. Uh, more than adequate, I'd say. <laughs> a couple <laughs> fingers of that and yeah. it'll be a fun show. The, the music that, that you're making is definitely different for me. So it's it's not what I would normally listen to. And it's really kind of opening things up for me. It's, it's, it's stuff that is, is, sounds brand new to me. I, I'm really enjoying it. Oh, I, I love to hear that. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I think that that's a big thing for me. It's not like I'm trying to set out to do something different, but I, I have so many different influences and I, and I hop around like with what I listen to so much. Yes, that I can tell. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing that, that fascinates me is you've got, beyond just the music, you've got a really fascinating story. There's so much that's gone into your music, and you've done some pretty interesting things. So I kind of want to start 
I guess at the beginning, because uh, the best way to figure out where you're at is to know where you've been. So I want to learn a little bit more about how you got into music in the first place. And your story is a lot different than a lot of people I've had on the podcast because you were born in Bogota and emigrated to Miami. How old were you when all this was going on? I was seven years old when I got to Miami. Wow. So you, you actually remember doing this. Yeah. I, I landed in Miami on July 4th, 1999. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's not amazing. By design. That is not amazing. By design. <laughs> wow. Who, who came with you? It was just my mom and I. Oh my gosh. Wow. How, how, how? I mean, we, we on foot by how? <laughs> so we 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 flew from Bogota to Miami. It was it was a pretty spur of the moment decision, uh, mostly on my mom's part. Obviously, I didn't have much say. <laughs> what? In, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I laid down the list of pros and cons. But you just didn't hear me out. You threw down a couple a couple possible destinations: Miami, Cleveland. You know. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, and I I wasn't even particularly familiar with Miami. I mean, I didn't know much about the United States. I knew about Chicago because I liked Michael Jordan. Ah. So I, I had a little <laughs> Chicago Bulls basketball hoop that I would hang up and and play with, but I didn't know anything about Miami. My mom was really familiar with Miami. She'd been there a few times already. And I think that it was just an opportunity to strive for more as kind of basic as that may sound. And it was just my mom. It was really my mom trying to set up a better future for me. And when we, we got to Miami, I was seven years old. I didn't speak English. My mom didn't speak English. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. So you guys had to just immerse yourself in the culture, which, and you know, Miami, I don't know a whole lot about Colombian culture. I don't know a whole lot about Cuban culture, but I know they're not the same. So it's not like you're just jumping into something that you're familiar with, even though there, there's a, a very large Hispanic community down there. Did you have a, a difficult time adjusting? I would say that yes, more so my mom, to be honest. Okay. My mom is very big on Colombian culture and she lived in Colombia her entire life, obviously. So for her, I think it was a lot more culture shock. For me on a certain level, it was just easy that everyone spoke Spanish. I was really scared that I wouldn't be able to communicate and pretty early on just found that everybody spoke Spanish. I think you land in the airport and they're like, welcome to Miami, bienvenido a Miami. All right, my people. (laughs) (laughs) So you didn't speak any English. How, how quickly did you start picking up on the language and, and, and assimilating into just daily life? I think for me, it happened really quickly, honestly. I know that for a lot of kids coming into Miami, they were put into kind of non-English speaking programs within school. I think it's actually ESL. Everyone in Miami called it ESL. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's how I always knew it. I was like, ESL, ESL. But um, I was never put into that program. My second grade was the first uh, school year that I did here. And my teacher, she was very strict and for some reason did not want me in that program. In a lot of ways, it made it difficult at first, but I also think I was so immersed in English that it became second nature to me really, really quick. Wow. And that's wild. Yeah. And I, you know, back in Colombia, I would watch a lot of American television. So I just kind of transitioned to watching the same shows I was watching, but in English. And so consuming a lot of media, I loved reading. I've always loved reading. So I think for me, it happened pretty quick. Okay. When did you start noticing music? That's a weird question for me because 
so my mom's huge on music. She's always loved music and, and we would listen to a lot of music, but for her, it was a lot of Colombian artists and other Latin American artists or, okay. or Spanish artists. And I loved that music and it was fun, but it didn't necessarily feel like my music. And I think it was in second or third grade, I discovered Eminem and that was just revolutionary for me. I had the Marshall Mathers LP and I, I like to joke around that I learned English listening to the Marshall Mathers LP. <laughs> they, they happened pretty simultaneously. I think that album was released in March the March of 2000. And I got here in July, 1999. I unfortunately was not huge. I had no idea about Eminem prior to the Marshall Mathers LP. I, I, it was only later that I went back and I listened to the Slim Shady LP, Right. but the Marshall Mathers LP, I had it. I played it on my Walkman nonstop, like back to back to back. <laughs> and so I would say that was my first real introduction to being a fan of an artist and being invested in that music. And through Eminem, I kind of started listening to a lot more hip hop, but not necessarily, I I, I went backwards, not really contemporary. I was listening to older Jay-Z, Tupac, Biggie, just kind of things that Eminem would talk about in his music or mention is the cool and so I was like, if he thinks it's cool, it must be cool. Right, so. right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how I found some of my favorite artists is actually going through the liner notes in CDs and, and LPs and all, and seeing if they thanked this band, and they must be cool. So they must, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'll go and research them. So it's kind of a similar way. You're actually hearing him say it, though. Yeah, exactly. He, because he talks a lot about his influences and, you know, it was back when you actually got the CD. So it's funny that you're mentioning like reading the album notes or because that's also, I'm obsessed with lyrics. Lyrics was always my most, my biggest draw to music was lyrics. I wasn't really listening to the beat or the instruments. I couldn't even identify them. Like I I wouldn't really know what I was talking about. I, I just knew what he was saying and the flow that he was using and the cadence of his voice. All those were things that I paid, paid attention to. And so the booklets, you know, the lyrics are in there and I was just reading them nonstop, trying to wow. understand exactly what he was saying. That's amazing. So you, cause he's, he goes a mile a minute. And so you're, you don't yeah. know English very well. You're listening to this guy just speak like a machine gun and you're trying to read along with it and, and English isn't your first language. That's impressive, man. That's, um, that's pretty wild. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it's weird because sometimes I go back and I listen to, let's say songs from the Marshall Mathers LP. And I realized that there was absolutely no way that I would have understood what he was saying. <laughs> even if I was fluent in English, just because I was eight years old and he's there saying like i sit back with this pack of zigzags and this bag of this weed and i'm like yeah yeah i don't know what you're talking about but <laughs> why I do you have weeds in a bag see <laughs> a work in the lawn care industry what, what the hell yeah. <laughs> so when did you start playing music i mean because you play guitar and right and and yeah so my musical trajectory is strange because even though I kind of dabbled in a few instruments when I was young, I played a little bit of guitar. I played a little bit of piano. That was when I was very young. Okay. I wasn't very passionate about the instruments because like I said, I wasn't drawn to music for the beat or the guitar. I, I didn't even understand what I was hearing. Really. I was only focused on the words and the lyrics and what right. the artist was saying. So I got into music through writing and it was more so writing lyrics and originally not even with the intention of doing anything with the lyrics, just the fact that I connected with that aspect of the music and it felt powerful to me. And I've always loved writing. Writing has been something that I've done since I was a little kid. I loved writing stories and I thought I was writing novels, but the, chapters were a paragraph long. (laughs) I, I started writing lyrics pretty aggressively around my sophomore year of high school. Okay. I remember I was 
hanging out at a buddy's house and he played me this song. It was a hip hop song and I was listening to it and I told him, yo, this is awesome. Who is this? He told me it's me. I made this in eighth grade when I was 13 and it was like, my mind was melting. I didn't understand. (laughs) And then he started rapping along and I had to believe him. It it was, it was him. It was his voice. And that was the first time that I even realized that you don't have to be famous to make music. Right, you don't yeah. have to be someone already to, to even make music. Like here was my friend who had made this when he was 12 or 13 years old. And so from that moment on, his name was Joey. And I just annoyed the crap out of him because <laughs> every day in school, I would pass him torn out pages from my notebook with lyrics and I just would pass them to him and pass them to him. And I think his backpack by the time we were in senior year must've been just crumpled, like full of crumpled papers of my lyrics that he (laughs) stopped reading long, long ago. But I remember one time, one time we were walking back from lunch. This was senior year. So about two years since I had started passing him lyrics nonstop. Three backpacks full of lyrics later. Yeah. Three, three backpacks full of lyrics later. We're walking back from lunch and I rhymed something at him and he asked me, he was like, who was that? And I told him, I'm just freestyling. And he looked at me and he's like, come to my house this weekend. Let's record. Oh, wow. I was like, yes, I'm in, I'm in. (laughs) So you weren't out playing at that point. You're just doing it on your own. Just writing at that point. Wow. And my, the first song I recorded was with him. We kind of started a little duo that we called here in color, but here in color, very clever and color spelled the British way because we were you know, different. Yep. Uh, (laughs) So we recorded that song and I just remember, I remember the, the day so vividly he had a little sound booth set up in a bathroom and I went in there and I had never recorded before and I didn't know how to do it. And I was wondering if I was going to go line by line or how this would go. And he was like, no, 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 that's crap. If you do it like that, you have to do it all in one take. And if you can't do it all in one take, then we're not doing it. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay. So we recorded that song and I remember he burned it on a CD for me that day. And I was driving home. I couldn't stop listening to it. Just on repeat, listening to it on repeat. I loved his part. I thought my part was great. I was just blown away. I didn't know that I could sound like that or even, you know, perform in that way. Yeah. I uploaded YouTube that night and I, I, you know, posted it on, I think, no, it was already past MySpace. I posted it on Facebook and just, it got a lot of positive reaction from people in high school that would never talk to me. Oh, really? popular or anything but all of a sudden i put this song out and people were like whoa is this you is this really you like this is awesome and i was like hell yeah it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) that's that is awesome yeah and and from that point i just kind of got a little obsessed and i would very much hound joey to record more and more but i think we only ever made two songs he was a perfectionist with his stuff and he would go in there and record what I thought was a masterful verse. And then he would get pissed off and delete it and say that it was garbage. So eventually I was like, all right, I'm going to do this on my own. And I drove to Best Buy, I bought a USB microphone. I bought a, a pop filter and I set it up in my closet, which wasn't even a walk-in closet or anything. I was like in there like cramped. Oh geez. And I just started recording and I started putting out so much music. I think in my senior year of high school, I was putting out like a song a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that was really my start into making music was, was that way. So when did you decide to start taking it out of 
your house and going into clubs and, and playing outside in front of people? Yeah. Uh, so when I started recording music, I had a friend, Maudie, who I still make music with to this day. He was a huge part of the last EP, Scattered Storms. Right, yeah. But Maudie was a great guitarist, and he was very supportive of my music from the get-go. Like, he was always, I would say, my biggest push into doing it more because he was already in bands he had already performed live he had done this whole thing and he was like what you're doing is cool and it's different and i that was very validating for me and so then one of the earliest things he did was he basically asked me is it cool with you if i take these songs that you're recording and i just come up with chord progressions on the guitar and then you know we could play them at parties and stuff and I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> that sounds awesome. So that was how it really started. It was these songs that I was making either to beats that I had found on YouTube or beats from popular songs. Or later on, I started working with some little producers and stuff, but Maudie would then take them and, and make them something new on guitar. And at first it was just, we would be at a party and Maudi Maudi already always took his guitar to parties. I was just, he was that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so then it became a thing where we started performing at these parties. I was also really big on freestyling. So freestyling was a huge part of my early performances because I knew that, or in my point of view, if you couldn't freestyle, then you weren't actually worthwhile. Wow. Okay. And that goes a lot to my fandom of Eminem. I've heard Eminem freestyle. I know Eminem can freestyle. I know that the artists that he respected could freestyle. So then to me, it was like, I need to be able to do that. And being able to do that kind of was a very easy way to establish myself or prove myself as, as a serious artist. That's how I felt. Okay. After that, we formed a band with, it was pretty much a band that Maudi had already been in, but they just all decided that they would like to play with me and, and, and basically start writing music together. So that was a band that we started probably when I was 18 or 19 and it was called dinosaurs and disasters. And that was a huge part of, me starting to take this seriously and because I was working with musicians of a really high caliber and it was the first time when it wasn't just me in my closet recording. Like we were going to studios. We were, Oh wow. Yeah. So we recorded an EP called life after youth. And that was music that we wrote all together. It was also my first time really writing music with other people. I, remember being really self-conscious going into it because I didn't feel like a musician. You know, I was just writing raps and recording them in my closet. Yeah. And here are these guys who, for some reason, they could all sing, they could all play every instrument, they could all, and I was, it was almost baffling to me, like why they wanted to make music with me. I, I, I didn't really feel up to par. Okay. And so, but that was the first time that, I started writing in a way where I wasn't just really focused on how tight my raps were, but more so how good the song was. And my writing became more melodic. We, we played a lot with harmonies. that introduced me to the idea of harmonies and okay. that be, that's now a huge part of my music. I love harmonies and I realized that I've always loved harmonies because I, I, for example, I love the Beatles and the Beatles are all about harmonies. Oh yeah. So working with them, I think 
just really elevated my musician musicianship because we took it really seriously. We were practicing all the time. We were playing shows. We started getting booked at venues around Miami. Oh, cool. You know, we went on a tour of the South Florida and also we played in in Atlanta, we played in New York, we played in just a bunch of different places and it started feeling like this wasn't just for fun anymore. This was sense, yeah. something serious. And yeah, that's, that's when I also really started to pay more attention to the music side of things too. It wasn't because it wasn't just my words that were important anymore. It was, right. what's the bass line? What are we doing on the guitars? We had two guitar. The band at its full lineup was two guitars, bass, drums, and a viola player. Oh, wow. Along with me. It was, it was a very eclectic That's, mix. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to picture that in my head, man. You guys touring with all that. That must have been an amazing show, though. That must have been so oh, much it was, fun. It was a lot of fun. And... I still think that some of my favorite live performances were with dinosaurs and disasters. Probably all of my favorite live performances were with dinosaurs and disasters because of the fact that it was a full band and it was really energetic and we were playing all over Miami. We got to the point where people knew our songs and were coming out to see us. It was a huge, huge boost to my musical confidence too to be able to like get on stage and put on a good show and obviously i was the front man so it yeah. wasn't i'm just getting on there and doing well, my part it was, i was leading the shows to me it, it sounds like you never really have been lacking in musical confidence though yeah that's a good point honestly i think interesting i've never really lacked in i think I've never lacked in, in confidence in that sense, but it was almost artistically that I didn't really see it where I didn't consider myself a full fledged musician where I was like, well, okay. I can't really sing or play instruments or do any of these things. I was confident that what I was doing was cool and that I was doing it well, but I almost felt like there was a ceiling to it uh, or that, okay. that I wouldn't be a musician in that sense. Like I was very confident as a rapper, but not as a musician. So it was like imposter syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That makes, I mean, that makes total sense within the band more. So when I was by myself, I didn't have that, but within the band, I definitely started getting a bit of that imposter syndrome. That makes sense. So when did the freestyle rap for 26 straight hours happen? That happened after moving to Los Angeles. So while we were working on the second Dinosaurs and Disasters EP, the band kind of fell apart. Okay. Not necessarily in a bad way. Just a few members had other things that they wanted to go on and do. And, you know, they actually, they went on and they did it. One of the guitarists of Dinosaurs and Disasters won his first Latin Grammy last year. Wow. And the other one is the head of a studio. So they had other, they, they, they didn't want, we were planning a big tour and they were like, Hey, I think this is a good time to kind of just let you know that this is not what we want to do. Wow. Okay. And so when that happened, me and two other members of the band, Maudi and Seabass were like, well then we're not going to stay in Miami. We didn't want to be in Miami. Miami while it has a, an incredible music scene, it wasn't super responsive to the type of music that we were making. Oh, really? A lot of the time, yeah. Wow. Miami is really big on electronic music and, and Latin music. Right. But when you were playing this kind of rock hip hop fusion, you know, we would be at a venue and they'd see you setting up a drum set. And I think people had an aversive reaction to it and be like, well, we're going to go outside. Oh, wow. And, I didn't yeah, realize that. Yeah, there's that, and it's been growing more. South Florida does have a good scene for for music, but Miami in particular is very selective with what they're into. I would say, okay. and so we decided to come out to LA, Maudi, Seabass, and I. And while we were out here, originally the plan was to continue Dinosaurs and Disasters, but we realized pretty early on that 
that project was kind of over and we wanted to start fresh with something new. Okay. And that's when I decided to start good bison and good bison was always viewed more through the lens of a collaborative project rather than like a strict band. Oh, it wasn't okay. it, the idea has always been that we could, we weren't restricted by the, limitations of a band in the sense that we always had to do everything together and always and every song had to have every member the first good bison song i didn't make with maudie and seabass i worked on it with a different producer and so it's always been this kind of more collaborative effort with obviously myself at the center kind of driving it but more of a rotating cast of supporting players We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. I remember we released the first Good Bison EP in 2016. And leading up to the release of that project, I was doing a lot of freestyling. I met a lot of people here in Los Angeles who were big into freestyle culture and just kind of lit a fire under me to, to really up my game in terms of freestyling. And it got to the point where I was a little cocky with it. (laughs) And, and I remember just sitting around one day and saying, you know, I could freestyle all day. It was, it was just a joke, a offhanded joke. (laughs) And then I kind of became this like bug in my head where I realized, you know what? I probably could freestyle all day. And I started thinking, wouldn't it be, hilarious if someone is watching me freestyle they go to sleep they wake up and i'm still freestyling that was kind of the, the motivation for it so i did that i literally did that in in 2016 i think it was yeah 2016 i freestyled for 25 hours at my house there was no organization or or it wasn't being done to break the Guinness world record. It was just literally a joke for me. And that, <laughs> that kind of went a little viral. And the following year in 2017, I was approached by super deluxe and they said, how would you like to do this again? And I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And they were like, wait, wait, how would you like to do this again and actually get it verified by Guinness? We have a whole team and we want to do this the right way. And I was like, well, I guess. Why wow. Not? So I did it twice, the first time for 25 hours and the second time for 26 hours. The second time was a much bigger production. There was literally people working around the clock because Guinness has all these crazy regulations in terms of how to verify that you're actually breaking a record. And so there had to be independent witnesses that swapped out every two hours. There had to be nonstop footage of it. There had to be just a bunch of documentation. And obviously I wasn't going to do that on my own the first time, especially considering that I didn't care about it, (laughs) why I was doing it. But the second time, obviously it was a lot of fun. I did it with super deluxe and, and they got it verified by Guinness. And so that was how an official Guinness world record holder. All right. So how does that work? I mean, 20, okay. So 26 hours, you've got to be able to take a drink or take a leak or something. How how does this all i mean are you taking the microphone into the toilet with you i mean what yeah so that literally happened (laughs) (laughs) only because i'm stubborn guinness gives you five minutes of break time for every consecutive hour of activity because obviously they don't want people to die yeah trying to make records or anything like that (laughs) but i'm stubborn i'm stubborn and i was like no that seems so fake that's not freestyling for 26 hours that's freestyling for 55 minutes taking a break and then going again right so i don't take any breaks zero breaks and so you know i definitely had water and i would take little sips i never stopping for longer than two seconds at a time okay. so maybe while the beat is transitioning i'll take a little sip of water and then jump right back in I did go to the bathroom with the microphone and they followed me with a GoPro waited outside the stall. <laughs> Just listening. 
That's, yeah, that's oh, that's amazing and creepy all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, definitely an invasion of personal space, <laughs> but I'm inviting it so for the greater good, right? Yeah. So, what was the record before you, or was there one? I think it was nine hours. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't fool around. No, no. <laughs> oh my! Zero to hundred, real quick. So you, <laughs> you sit there. You don't want anybody to break that for a long, long time. That's the thing, though. Since I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about the Guinness record when I went into it. It was just the idea of freestyling for a day, particularly because around that time I had gotten a little obsessed with the show New Girl, and there's a character in it, Schmidt who is super ridiculous. And, and there was a time when he was doing push-ups or something. He was like, I could do this all day. Yeah. And so me and my friends started saying that like all day, all day. And then so that to me became a joke. It was just, it was always a joke. That's why it's so silly to me to sometimes think about how serious it became. And the fact that it was actually a Guinness world record and things like that. That's amazing. Was, yeah. God. Well, one thing I could do all day is drink Buffalo trace. So, Hey, <laughs> I may have done that once or twice too. So I don't oh, think yeah, there's I mean, a Guinness record for that though. Oh, I'm, I, I probably broke that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So I was, I went back and I started listening to the very first good bison EP and the LP that you put out. But I want to know, first of all, what's, is there anything behind the name good bison? Is there a meaning to it or is it just something that you came up with? It was pretty much just something that I came up with, but it also does have meaning, which at this point is I'm a little hazy on whether I thought about the meaning going into it or I've retroactively applied it. Yeah. But a huge part of it to me was dinosaurs and disasters was a huge part of my musical journey. And I, and I love dinosaurs and disasters. And so I wanted to kind of continue on some level with the animal imagery okay. and you know, after the dinosaurs got wiped out, it was the time of the mammals. So oh, there you go. And, and good bison is also a pun like goodbye son. And now thinking about it, it does have the meaning that, you know, this was made when this project good bison was made after I left Miami my family, which is my mom, it's always just been my mom and I, my mom's still in Miami. So I left it's goodbye is a huge thing that informs where I'm at today. And so I love the pun. I love the fact that it continued the animal imagery. And I also just think it, it rolls off the tongue in a way that dinosaurs and disasters never did, which was, <laughs> So I loved the name, but later on I was like, oh, it's so clunky. And people always have questions about it. And yeah. you, these random people who can't even spell dinosaur sometimes. And it's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> so what does mom think about the music? My mom is super supportive. Awesome. She isn't necessarily the biggest fan of the style of music that I make, not that she doesn't like it, but it's just, like I said, my mom is huge on, on Latin music. I don't yeah. think she listens to a lot of like music in English. I mean, she loves the Bee Gees and she loves <laughs> Michael Jackson, but it's just not necessarily like her cup of tea. Right. But it's, it's great that, you know, she came here to make a better life for you guys. And, and here you are, you know, living your dream. See, I mean, yeah. gotta make her yeah. so proud. Definitely. So, all right. So I was going back to, to the music. The first EP is really cool. I was listening to it and, and the, the songs, the machine and rah, rah, rational. I love those. I love the guitar tone specifically in, in the machine. Light me up another one while we're still young. Cause I remember where we came from. Why you gotta call me when I'm all up in my zone. the message after the tone when you are finished you may hang up or press one for special that's action. just so awesome that's that's the sound i love that sound that 
yeah almost almost shoegazy sound it's just awesome so it's definitely more of an indie rock type of sound mm -hmm. and then that's Bodie comes out and that's a lot more hip-hop and a lot less roots rock first of all i want to ask is that like a, a point break concept album because yeah i'm so glad you caught on to yeah. that yeah, <laughs> yeah it definitely is um the songs aren't necessarily super themed on the like concept album side of it but it was all inspired by Bodie. that's awesome and so you know that's why the last song in the project is called johnny utah Now, is it original Point Break or the remake? Oh, original! I oh. haven't even seen the remake. <laughs> that's that. Yeah. When I saw the EP come up, or the uh, the LP come up, that's Bodie. I'm like, this is really weird. <laughs> How am I gonna yeah, have and two? The cover, the cover art has us in the in the president's mask. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like uh, I... the title of the project literally comes from a line in the movie when I think jo uh, Johnny Utah's on the beach and he asks this girl, "Who's that?" and she goes, "That's Bodie." And it's like, and you see him and he's surfing and he's got this golden hair and you're like, oh man, that's Bodhi. And so Bodhi for us was also a bit of an inside joke because we started using Bodhi as a synonym for cool. Or so when we say that's Bodhi, that means that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. You got more of a, of a hip hop, less indie rock sound on, on that. And it, did you move away from the indie rock sound purposefully or was that a, kind of a uh producer's decision no it was so it was a mix honestly going into the first ep buffalo roots i worked on that very closely with maudi and seabass and we it was also influenced a lot by what i was listening to and i think that it was a lot more indie rock but even in particular i remember being super into lord's first album oh yeah Pure yeah. yeah and i i was like blown away by that sound and i think that in a lot of ways that inspired the direction that we went in with buffalo roots even though it was completely different but i i was more so in that headspace and then after buffalo roots it became a little hard to follow up on that because for whatever reason maudi seabass and i weren't on the same page not necessarily creatively or musically just in life we weren't you know we had just moved to los angeles everyone was trying to get their footing trying yeah. to figure out what to do and i was very much well i want to keep doing music right now and we had linked up with this producer who helped us record and mix buffalo roots his name is jayhawk and jayhawk is a legendary la producer but very much in the hip-hop scene you know, he has records with artists like Chris Brown, Tyga, just okay. pretty established uh, hip-hop sound. I even know and, those guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after releasing Buffalo Roots and it feeling like I was the main one that wanted to follow up with something, I decided, you know, I can go a little more back to my roots which my roots were really hip hop. Right. And because at that time I didn't necessarily feel like I could write the type of music that we had done on Buffalo roots by myself. Uh, okay. I, I was starting to play more guitar, but I was not, I'd never written a song on guitar or anything like that without Maudi. Okay. So, so the confidence in the guitar playing wasn't there yet. Yeah, it wasn't there yet. So I decided I wanted to put out, more of a hip hop mixtape. That's how I viewed it in my head. I was like, okay. I want to put out a hip hop mixtape. I want to work with a bunch of different producers and obviously with Jayhawk. And as that project evolved, like it started out very much hip hop centric, but as the project evolved, I ended up writing some songs that 
I realized weren't strictly hip hop. Like the second half of that project opens up a, lo- a little more around yeah. the time that, you know, wavy and then why'd you leave and campeon. And then it becomes this more of like, not necessarily that indie rock sound from before, but it's like a more pop oriented and sure. melodic and not that straight hip hop sound of songs like YBMF or silo rough or things like that, where I'm just kind of going off rapping. Okay. I, I got to ask. Okay. First, first of all, Campion, one of my favorite tracks on that. And it's just, that's a really great track and away we go. Amazing. Now those, those songs, those two in particular and, and YBMF, they sound like, you know, you're, you're writing from your personal experience. Is that where you find most of your lyrical content? Is that how you come up with your lyrical content? Or is it, you, you did mention that you used to just write when you were younger. Is it, is it, are you writing based on a, like a story or, or a, something in your head? Or is a lot of it based on personal experience or is it a mix? Most of it is based on personal experience. I would say the majority of my lyrics are coming from personal experience. And that is also really informed by my early love of hip hop and kind of nineties hip hop, where it was like, if these artists aren't talking about themselves then they're not real and that's, then they get kind of pushed aside. So it was listening to Eminem, obviously Eminem is very autobiographical in his lyrics. And so I've always thought that I had to, be authentic in my music. Authenticity is very important to me. So I'm not writing from imagined points of view. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like I think some of my favorite songs are, you know, written in a, in a looser way, not necessarily this happened to me, but with my music, it's all pretty much things that have happened to me or maybe things that have happened to someone really close to me but it's pretty much all personal experience, personal experience and star Wars. Yeah. Because <laughs> I do love silo rough. There are a lot of references in there and I love the belch at the end, by the way, you love what? Sorry. The belch at the end. Oh yeah. That was real. That happened. <laughs> <laughs> and that lot, you hear like people laugh, like yeah. th- those people in the studio that it was just like, what happened? And I, was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> So how soon after that's Bodie, did you start working on scattered storms, the new EP? It took a while because after that's Bodie, that's Bodie came out. Then I did the second freestyle where I went for 26 hours and I broke the record and I was kind of over it for a while. (laughs) 26 straight hours will do it. Yeah. And it wasn't, I had no, motivation or direction for what I wanted to do next. I kind of felt drained and I definitely didn't want to rap and I didn't want to, I wasn't even like listening to music that much. Oh wow. I withdrew a lot and it took me a while to find a creative outlet. And that was when I started getting more into guitar because I realized that I still had things inside me that I wanted to get out, but I didn't, I wasn't thinking lyrically at that point. And I started playing more guitar and around that time, like in the, in the following years, because that's Bodhi came out in 2017 and scattered storms came out in 2021. So there's a pretty big gap there. And in those years, I kind of was playing guitar. I wrote some of my first songs on guitar and once I was writing the chords, it was lyrics coming out of me again, but I wasn't writing them down on paper the way that I've always written, or they weren't, I wasn't thinking about these songs words first. I was thinking about them from the music. Oh, okay. Uh, and so scattered storms has four songs on it. Two of them were things that I wrote myself on guitar over those two years. And then two of the other songs are things I worked on with Maudie towards the end of 2020 or summer 2020. Okay. Okay. So it took a while. It wasn't a direct follow-up. I, I think that what really inspired me to put out another project was 
the pandemic in a certain way. Okay. Because in 2019, let's say that's Bodhi came out in 2017, the end of 2017 and all of 2018, I was very unmotivated musically. I wasn't really doing much. Okay. Then 2019 comes around and I start getting back into it. But that was when I was playing more guitar and I started setting up live shows, but they weren't just good bison live shows. I was organizing these events where I would have a lineup of performers and every, every month I would have a different featured artist and oh, cool. basically it'd be a lineup of performers, then a good bison set and then their featured artists. So it was, I was hosting the events and I, I did one a month. I think all of 2019, my intention was to keep that going 2020, but obviously the world happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and God. so, you know, then all of a sudden I found myself at home frustrated because I couldn't organize these shows. I couldn't go to shows. I was going to a lot of live shows to myself just as a fan. Yeah. Uh, and so that I started getting the bug in my head where I was like, well, I want to put out a project. I want to put out a project. And at first I wanted it to be acoustic because I had, I was writing these songs acoustically. I was writing these songs on guitar and it was just my voice. That was how I heard them. I didn't envision them necessarily any other way. I didn't want to get bogged down by production either because that can sometimes be so overwhelming. And then as Maudie got involved and we started adding bass and we started recording little percussion that we had lying around and then worked further with George Spitz, who's an amazing producer, musician, engineer, just all around great guy. And I remember he called me and he was like, man, these songs are great, but I really want to lay down drums on them. And I was all for it. My whole thing was, I just don't want to stray too much from that organic sound. So it's yeah. So in my head, I was thinking if you have a drum kit at home and or in your home studio and you want to play drums and lay that on this, then yes, that fits my vision and it, and it, and it lines up with what I want to do. I just don't want to start, you know, adding synths and, you know, 808s or or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. See, you want to, like you said, you want it to sound as organic as possible. Yeah. It's four tracks. And I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way because after a song like YBMF, this may sound a little weird, but Black Garlic, I love that song. It's so sweet. Black Garlic, oh sweet darling, I've got you on my It's a yeah. beautiful little track, and I, and I love it. I mean, I, it's hard for me to to say which one is my favorite because it's four tracks, and they're all really great. Lunatic, Lunatic is all. It's, it's so. It's very short, but it, it, it you pack so much into it. it it's awesome, and the video is really cool. Thank you. I like the so how did the videos? How did you do the video? Because I, I think I remember reading something about how you kind of snuck in someplace to, to shoot it. <laughs> yeah. So the video was actually conceptualized by the visual director that I was working on with this project. Cause a huge thing that I wanted to do different with scattered storms was I wanted to put as much energy and creativity into the visuals and the presentation as I did into the music. And I'm not necessarily a very, visual minded person. Like I said, I've always been a lyrical and I'm pretty new to the even musicality, like the complete musicality of things. So I worked with a visual director who helped me really translate the music and the sounds into imagery. Kroll house, incredibly talented. And she was the one who came up with the idea for the video because of the fact that skateboarding was a huge part of my upbringing. I was, I was actually, you know, skateboarding when I was a teenager and the idea was to 
just have me sitting there and have skaters somewhat representing my thoughts skating around me okay. and the idea that these thoughts are going around me and I'm trying my best not to pay attention to them since that's such a central theme of lunatic. And I remember we were going back and forth on possible locations. We wanted it to be a skate park, but we didn't want it to be crowded or to look generic or anything like that. And at one point we found this skate bowl in the middle of the desert, but it was hours away and, oh. and very dangerous to skate in, but we were, and oh, we, we couldn't decide where to do it. And one day we were on a hike and she just sees this abandoned water reservoir. And she's like, that's where we need to shoot. Wow. And then we started just trying to find out how to get in there. We didn't even know where we were, where it was. <laughs> we were up, we were up on a hill looking down at it. Wow. And so we pulled out maps, tried to figure out how to get there, eventually figured out where the location was and it was all fenced in, but you, but there was a hole in the fence that clearly someone had cut <laughs> open. At some point. And so we just pretty much said, screw it, let's do it. And it was a bit of a, it was like a 20 minute walk from where the place where you had to park the car. So I remember walking with all the equipment, the cameras, oh. water bottles, everybody walking. And it just reminded me a lot of the things I used to do when I was a teenager. Cause that was literally what we were doing. We were sneaking into spots and skating, yeah. except we were 14 years old and didn't have all this equipment, but <laughs> yeah, we definitely weren't supposed to be there, but we didn't get in trouble. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's good. Trouble. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm really enjoying this the EP. It's really cool. It's it's uh, like I said. It's it's brand. The sounds are brand new to me. So I'm. It's really like a, a breath of fresh air to me. It's so much different than than what I would normally listen to. And that's one of the things I've actually come to love about doing this podcast is that I'm finding not only new artists to listen to, but new genres of music. And and you fit right into both of those. So. I'm really enjoying, and I enjoyed going back and listening to the the older stuff too. It's really been an adventure. Yeah, and sometimes the stuff that I put out can feel disjointed because it doesn't follow a strict genre or even like a strict genre evolution. It right. seems like it kind of hops around. And when I listen, you know, after putting out scattered storms, I did go back and I listened to Buffalo roots and I listened to that's Bodie. And then I listened to scattered storms. And I, even though they're all so different, there does seem to be this kind of unifying thread throughout the music that kind of puts it all under the good bison umbrella. And what's funny to me is that scattered storms also in a lot of ways is closer to what I was doing with dinosaurs and disasters. It's still different because it's more informed by the previous two good bison projects, but it also goes back to that kind of rockier sound that we were doing with dinosaurs and disasters. So it just felt like a culmination of all these things that I've done and the experiences that I've had lessons I've learned and, and that I was able to put into effect in scattered storms. Oh, that's, that's awesome. What's, what's next for good bison? This, this EP just came out in January. So it's not that old. Are you working on new music or are you uh, hoping that things open up and you can play some live shows or do you do any streaming events? I am very eager to start performing live. I want to perform this project with a band and yes. just get in front of audiences and, and, and hopefully perform here in Los Angeles where I am. I want to go back to Miami and perform over there, but I am also looking to start organizing my events again. That was such a huge driving factor for me. And, and it was, and it's fulfilling, not in the sense, not only in the sense that it gives me an audience to perform to, but I love the idea of bringing artists together and, being able to showcase other artists that I like and that I think are talented and deserve to be, you know, recognized. Yeah. So I am very eager to do that, especially because sometimes when I get my 
my, when my brain just starts running away, it really feels like, oh, if I could scale this, this would literally be a festival. You know, right. I would, yeah. And so I would love to just grow it and, and see where that can, can go. And, you know, there's nothing to say, there's no reason not to think that this couldn't one day be a festival yeah. or something along those lines. So I definitely want to start organizing shows. I think now that people are getting vaccinated and things are opening back up, I'm going to feel comfortable organizing some, some outdoor events. I am also working on the next good bison single. It's nice. a song called, I can't seem to find my place. And it's a very special song to me. I wrote it after becoming obsessed with pet sounds and Brian Wilson in general. So it's very Brian Wilson inspired. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm very eager to get it out, but I'm also really picky about the production process. It does, I don't want to rush that. And I want it to sound right because in a lot of ways it's, it's bigger than scattered storms because scattered storms is literally just drums, guitar, bass, and I can't seem to find my place has a lot more elements. Okay. And, but I also want it to feel raw and organic. So it's this, it's, it's, oh, it's, wow. a, I'm really excited about that song and I'm hoping to get it out towards the end of summer. So oh, cool. it won't be too long of a wait, but I'm still in pretty early stages with it. It's fully recorded and stuff. It's just now finalizing the production and, and the mix. And I'm also working on it with the, with the same people I worked on scattered storms with. So it's Maudi and George. And oh, cool. I'm really excited. Well, I'm really excited to hear your take on Brian Wilson. That is, yeah. that's exciting to me. That sounds like it's going to be really really interesting like i i can't imagine the layers and and newer take on brian wilson is something that that's much needed i am obsessed with brian wilson i <laughs> can't tell you how eye-opening or ear-opening listening to pet sounds has been yeah. and just after that i've gone and just done a deep dive on the smile sessions oh and just, yeah uh i I could talk for hours, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I may have to have me back on to uh, do a show about Brian Wilson. That's one of the uh, topics I've been thinking about. Doing. I will have people back on uh, from time to time, and we'll do shows that are have nothing to do with their music. It's a completely separate topic. So, I would. I've been kind of trying to think of who would be a good fit for that. So. If oh, I would be honored. Honestly, I was lucky enough to see Brian Wilson live oh, wow. in 2019 at the Greek theater here in Los Angeles and such an emotional experience. I went to go see him speak at UCLA and, and watched a never before seen performance of smile. I'm, oh, wow. you know, very, very much grateful for brian wilson's contributions to music and yeah. would love the chance to talk more about it well let's let's do it i'll i'll uh well before we we get too too much into brian wilson where can people order the ep how can they follow you on social media and keep up with uh the music the the new songs coming out the and the events that that you'd like to hopefully get back into doing so good bison you can find us on instagram just like that at good bison i'll be definitely keeping everybody up to date on instagram our website is goodbisonmusic.com and you can find links to everything there the music is available on every streaming flat platform spotify amazon apple title whatever you use it's there so just search good bison and it should be pretty easy to find Excellent. Much easier to spell than dinosaurs and disasters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. Well, yeah. Pablo, thank you so much, man. It's been a blast talking with you and learning about the music and, and listening to stuff that's that's brand new to me. It's it's great. I've really enjoyed it. No, thank you so much for taking the time to check it out and for having me on. I've had a lot of fun talking to you, and this is great. I can't find my way back home. I've lost the road. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 